Today's class, I believe this has always been the sponsor, the first class of the year, has been sponsored by the same family for the past four years in a row. It's sponsored in honor of uh, Mr. Jakey and Sari Kassin, who are really wonderful people who have wonderful children who we work with in a lot of different capacities and is dedicated by their children in their honor. Hashem should give them long life, happy years, healthy years, with many, many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Amen. Okay. We have a lot of seasonal mitzvot. Sitting in a sukkah, blowing a shofar, fasting on Yom Kippur, lighting a menorah, reading a megillah, all mitzvot, eating matzah, and we do them all. Raise your hand if you don't eat matzah on Pesach, or if you don't sit in the sukkah, or if you don't fast on Kippur, or if you haven't heard the shofar. Everyone does it. Yet, what may be the most important of them all, is the mitzvah for this week is Tishuvah. And yet, so many of us don't really do it. Think back to last year. Have you done real Tishuvah from last year to this year? It's again, Lulav we all do, so many women don't do Lulav, but if we all do Shofar, we all fast, we all do all those other things, we got excited for it and we really do it. Like, did you hear the Shofar yesterday? Yes! Did you eat Matzah and Pesach? Yes! If I ask you, did you sit in the Sukkah last year? Yes! Now if I ask you, did you do genuine Teshuvah and really change from last year to this year? You've given me all kinds of, uh, maybe one item, two, not really. I did a little bit, then I lost. I don't even remember the thing that I decided last year. So I want to know why this is the case. And we're going to try to go into a little bit of the psyche of what makes us be this way. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of reasons why we are this way. And then hopefully we'll give a solution how to step out of it. Reason number one is we think in our mind that the truth is, I am so bad, there's no way Hashem really would forgive me for everything. Like if I'm the type of person who did a couple of mistakes, I missed Bikat Amazon a couple of times, I could do Teshuvah. But when you look at the list of the things that I have done, what my Shabbat looks like, how many days I miss praying, how many thousands of Benachot I missed in a year, how many times I use inappropriate language? How many times maybe I didn't tell the truth? How many times I don't dress appropriately? How many times really not appropriately? How many times Shabbat I don't really use the right things? How many times do I get into a fight with my spouse? How many times do I reprimand my children the wrong way? How many times did I not be nice to somebody on a text message? Or how many times was I involved maybe in even embarrassing someone in social media? How many times did I eat something that I didn't really know if it was kosher? There's so many things, like, is it even possible that Hashem forgives me at this point? If I was, you know, great, then I had a couple of mistakes to survive for me. But all the things that I do, the amount of times that I got angry, the amount of times I got jealous, the amount of times I didn't have faith, it's unbelievable how many times. There's no way to survive works for me. This thought is scary. It's also false. I'll just quote to you one Gemara in Masechet Shabbat. The Gemara says, If someone keeps one Shabbat properly, even if they did 
or even if they sinned, like even worshiping idols, God could forgive them. Even if a person worshiped idols, does one Shabbat, that means one really good day, you could do Teshuvah on anything. Now let me tell you the next problem that we think, the other thought process. It's actually the opposite. We say, I says, you know, Teshuvah, I'm a pretty good person. Like, there's not that much that I have to change. I'm kind of religious. I keep Shabbat. I pray. I keep kosher. I'm a good person. I never, you know, you hear the stories going on out there. People do. I don't do anything like that. I don't hurt people. I don't take people. I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't, I don't do crazy things. I, I don't, you hear about people doing nutty things on Shabbat. I don't do any of that. I'm pretty much a good person. Like, if you really think about it, there's not that much... I really feel like I so dramatically have to change. And what's weird about this thought is the same person who had the first thought I just said has this thought. Somehow we like go from ping pong to saying, I'm the worst, I can never do anything, to, you know what, I'm pretty good. I really am pretty good. Like, I am a good person. You consider yourself a good person? Yes, you do, right? Good mother, you pray, you do, you're a good person, are you a good person? You're a good person. Is there that much you have to change? Not really. It's the truth. Is there that much you have to change? You're nice, you're nice. You're Shabbat, Shabbat. Pray, pray. Believe in Hashem, believe in Hashem. You keep all the holidays, keep all the holidays. What else is there? What do you do? Keep kosher, you keep kosher. I didn't ask everybody that one. But, yes, we're, <laughs> yes, we're, we're pretty good. We're pretty good. So, like, I don't even know if there's that much that I, that I have to change. I want to tell you something for that person. There's a korban that's brought on Rosh Chodesh. The korban is called Chatat Lahashem. A sacrifice, Chatat, is brought for a sin. Lahashem, for Hashem. The Gemara in Chulin asks, what does that mean? It's a Chatat Lahashem. It's a funny terminology. The Gemara says that this sacrifice that's brought on Rosh Chodesh is a sacrifice that we bring for God's mistake. That's what Gemara says. I don't know if I choose the word mistake. I don't know how to even say that word for God. But for something that God regrets. What did God do? On Rosh Chodesh, God made the moon small in regards to the sun. So God wants to do Teshuvah on His one move that He made, that made the moon smaller than the sun, it wasn't so nice to the moon, and therefore it's a chatat, a korban, a sacrifice, for Hashem. So here's my question for you ladies. If God bring, needs a sacrifice, you don't think you have mistakes that could need a sacrifice? You don't think that two weeks ago you possibly walked out of a store and didn't say hello to the person? You don't think you possibly didn't respond to someone's text and had them thinking all night? Why didn't you respond? You didn't abruptly end a phone call and someone said to themselves, well, they're not. You didn't forget a beracha. You didn't pray seven prayers in a row and have barely any kavanah in any of them. So in essence, Shabbat is a reminder that you could do Teshuvah no matter how bad you were. Rosh Chodesh is a reminder that you need Teshuvah no matter how good you are. And that's why the Pasuk says, Mideh Chodesh, the Rosh Chodesh reminds us that no matter how great you think you are, there's where to go. 
Shabbat b'shabbatoh, Shabbat reminds us no matter how bad you are, they're still coming back. Which makes everybody know they have to come before God and do teshuva. But there's a third thought that goes into our head. As we're playing the pink part, should I change? Should I not change? It's deep down you say, you know what? I made it this far. So, whatever I am, it must be working somewhat because I got here and I'm not so bad and my life's not so bad. So I don't really need it so desperately because I made it. I really did. You know, we were just in Dio of Rosh Hashanah. I cannot tell you how much rain there was. No, I cannot tell you how much rain there was. It's not even believable. It was like, give up on your shoes, your suit, anything. Like, it was... I know it rained here in Brooklyn, but nothing like there. It was the biggest joke on the people who went to Dio of Rosh Hashanah. It was not normal. From Friday afternoon to last night, it didn't stop once. I think a half hour on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, it was like you saw the sun. But other than that, it rained while the sun was out. And Monday, no, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, you were like, Noah had less water. I'm telling you, it was so much water. It was just pouring, pouring. It was just like, you just wanted to sit there in the middle of Norwood and just say, I give up. It was just, give up. I got shoes that are Elamak. They're just, there's not enough to them. It was just, Nothing. But you know what you keep saying to yourself when you're walking? And I, I, I was like in my in-law's house. It was like a mile away from shul. So I'm walking back and forth. And every time, boom, boom, boom. One day I left without my coat, boom. It was just every day. So anyone who was in deal knows exactly what I'm talking about. You guys in Brooklyn think you got some rain? No, 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 no. You don't know. I'm telling you, it was like the ocean could have come to shul. It would have been less. Anyhow. But when you're going to it, you just say, you know what? Okay, I'll be fine. It's going to be fine. I, like, in the end of the day, it's going to be fine. I'll be, get through it. I'll walk. It's, what's the worst? Concern? Some things are going to get wet. And I'm going to be fine. And a lot of times in life, we think that if I don't really change anything, I'll be okay. Nothing's really going to happen to me. My life is fine now. And it'll be fine. God's been good to me so far. He'll keep going. There's a pasuk that kind of responds to this thought process. You're a God of patience. But people call you merciful. That means really you're being patient, but they think you're just letting things go. God saw what I did, all the words I said, and He's letting it go. But that's incorrect. You really want us to do teshuvah. You're not just letting it go. You've been patient. Don't confuse patience with just letting it not, not caring. Patience and not caring, not the same thing. God's patient, wave us to do teshuvah. And I don't want to give this serious thought, but I will. Just in case we say, oh, we've all been fine. Think about how many people last Rosh Hashanah were fine. That today are not fine. And I don't, I was thinking of going through the list. I said, you know, it's going to be too tough. It's going to be too, it's going to be, I don't want to be that sad. But think about it. how many people that you can think of in the community that last Rosh Hashanah were fine, completely fine, or almost completely fine. And this Rosh Hashanah is different. So that thought process of I'm always good and I'll always be good is not okay.
I'll give you the next thought of why we think we don't really need to do teshuva. Because say, you know what? Good people have problems too. So what's going to happen? I'm going to become a good person? They also have problems. It's not even going to be like so much better. I want to remember this conversation. It's a real conversation. There was a man, there's two men, religious, very religious men, but they're characters. So this man, this older man, he had a heart attack and he ended up being okay. So he saw his friend. His friend's name was Charlie. So it's a few months after that. So Charlie said, Charlie, were you worried about me? He says, nah, I wasn't worried about you. Only the good die young. <laughs> it's... You don't like that. <laughs> I don't either like it. But the point is that there are people who even think that. They literally go to a funeral and hear how wonderful the person was and say, you know what? I don't want to be that good. I don't want to be that good. Because, I don't know, sometimes, good people, it's scary. Rather be, make some mistakes. I don't want to be so good. And then, there's one last thought that we all have. At the end of the day, it's just too hard to change. It just is too hard. It's too hard to say that I'm really going to be different. It's too hard. I'm telling you the truth. I know my tendencies. I know the things I like. I know the people I'm around. I know the things I'm used to. It's too hard to really be different. It's too hard to make real changes in my life. It just is too hard. Every time I think about it, and I thought about it, and I say, well, I have to be better at that, or I have to be better at that. And I think, no, there's no way I can face those people if I'm better than that. There's no way I'm really going to do it. It's just too hard. There's a pasuk that God uses to show us about teshuva. Shuva elai, shuvu elai v'ashuva alechem. Please, God says, do a little teshuva to me, and I'll come to you. Please, please do a little teshuva. But the Jewish people say, no, no, God. Here's how it's going to have to work. Hashivenu Hashem Elecha. God, you return us to you. Vinashuva. Let me explain to you a little story. I don't know if it's true or not. I read it, so I do not know if it's a true story. But there was a Rothschild, very, very wealthy man. And he had a daughter that he wanted to marry off. He really wanted a really special boy. So he looked high and low and finally found a boy. Okay, he sat down with the consuegro before, you know, they do that uh, dinner, before they're going to get engaged. And he says, here's the story. I'm willing to, I'm going to give this couple... I'm going to give them a house. I'm going to give them a vacation house. I'm going to give them a car. I'm going to give them a second car. I'm going to provide their food. I'm going to give them all their clothing. I'm going to take care of their mortgage. Everything. He says, can you just tell me now, what are you going to do? The other guy says, I don't know. I don't really have that much to do. He says, I'm giving you all this. You have to come up with something. The guy says, I don't know. He says, listen, if you don't come up with at least $10,000 a year, this deal is off. Man says, I don't know what to do. He says, listen, Mr. Rothschild says to the fellow, you know what? You have two days, go borrow the money. Figure it out. You got to come back with something. Okay. Man says, okay, I hear you. The next day, Mr. Rothschild gets a knock on his door. It says, consuegro. He says, I came to borrow $10,000. <laughs> the truth is that that is what we do. God says... I, oh, you did all these sins. It's okay. Just do teshuva. 
Just do Teshuvah. That's all I'm asking you to do. It's not rocket science. It's not impossible. Just do Teshuvah. And what happens? We stand before God in Yom Kippur and we say, Hashem, please, could you make it easier for me? I can't even do the Teshuvah right. Are you serious? You can't even do Teshuvah? Even this is too hard? All the mistakes we made, all the mistakes we made, God say, I'm willing, I'm giving you all of this, I just need 10 grand. I'm not asking you for everything. I'll give you the house, the car, give you everything. I'm letting it all go. I just need Teshuvah. And we go back to God and we say, No, Hashem, I need your help even with that. Here's what the Pesukim, I'll read it to you again. God says, Shuvu elai alechem. Please do Teshuvah and then I'll bring you back. We turn back to God and we say, God, we can't even do that. God, please bring us back and then we'll try. Please lend us the 10,000 and then I'll give you 10,000. Please, God, help me do Teshuvah and then, I'll, and then I'll, 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 I'll change. So when you look at the list and this is what happens in our brain is this ping pong. First we say, I'm too bad, there's no way I can change. Then we say, you know what, I'm too good, I don't even need to change. Then we say, you know what, I made it this far, so I'll be okay. Then we say, you know, the truth is, deep down, I'm not even sure if I want to be so good, because that's a little scary. And then you say, you know what, and even if I do want to do it, it's just too hot. And these thought process goes in our head, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Then Wednesday comes, Yom Kippur, oh, Yom Kippur is over, we're eating, shoo, we made it. Game over. Get ready for Sukkot, build the Sukkot, it's a short year, figure it out, and we're totally forget about the process. So, here's what happens to us. We start to become, literally, like a door. You know what a door is? You ever see a door swing, a door like a swing door? Picture a swing door outside of like a hole. You open the door, it swings three feet, right? Then it goes back. Then you open the door again. Now a thousand people walk through the door. It swings like 3,000 feet. Then the next day another thousand people walk through the door. It swings another 3,000 feet. In essence, after two days, the door should have walked 6,000 feet away. But the door stays right there. Because it just keeps swinging back and forth, but it still stays on its hinge so it doesn't move. We're the same way. We keep trying and trying and trying and trying, but we stay stuck to that hinge. We stay stuck in the same mentality and the same mindset and it just doesn't change. The analogy I just told you isn't mine. It's Shalomu Hazmelech's. Here's what he says. He says, Just like the door swings on its hinge, The lazy man on his bed. He keeps going back to the bed. He keeps going back. So what do we do? We just keep going back to our same old habits. Same old habits. Always this time of year, I like to give you the things that, that bother me about myself. I'll give you one example. I'm always late. I'm always late. Like five to ten minutes late. Not crazy late, but I'm always late. And I hate it. And I feel like at some point, I should get better at this. Like, shouldn't I get it? But I am consistently late to everything. Just five, ten minutes. Nothing crazy. I don't miss it. But... I, I, why, why, why are you looking surprised? You guys come to my class. You know I'm late. But that's... I'm always late. You could ask my mother-in-law. I've never been on time for a, for a Shabbat meal. Right? Am I always late? You're not, you're not admitting. Oh, look, you see? Look at that. Wow, that's nice. But always late. And I am literally like a door on the hinge. Because I do work on it. And then I'll have a day that I'm a little better. And then I go back. And then I say, you know what? Today, actually, I want to be late. 
So I don't really want to be at that meeting. So I try to be. And then another day, you know what? I was so tired last night. If anyone knew what I went through, they'd understand why I'm late. And then next thing you know, I just keep sticking back. I'm like a swinging door. Getting a little better, getting a little worse. And I'm not talking about months here. I'm talking about, I'm not even talking about years. I'm talking about decades. Decades of doing this probably in the tens of thousands of times. Tens of thousands. To class, to praying, to a meeting, to people, to house. To tens of thousands of times that I'm just stuck on that hinge. And I think I'm moving. And then I go right back to where I started. So how are we going to get ourselves out of this mentality? How are we going to really be different this year than we were last year? How is it going to be that just like we can say confidently that last year we sat in the sukkah, heard the shofar, fasted on Kippur, lit a menorah, heard the Megillah, and ate matzah on Pesach, we're going to be able to say in a year from now that this year we made Teshuvah for real. So I think the answer is that we need a complete mentality change. And it starts with Tashlich. What are we doing at Tashlich? Now most people think what you do at Tashlich is you go and you empty out your sins into the water. Right? Like this makes a lot of sense. That we, you could do all year, you could do all kinds of sins, kill, murder, keep Shabbat, whatever you want. Go stand in front of the water, shake your pocket a little bit, and boom, all your sins go into the fish, kills the fish, and you're good to go. That, there's people who think that that's what Tashlich is. That is so not what Tashlich is. There is a pasuk that says that our sins should go to the depths of the ocean. But that's not what Tashlich is. I'm going to give you the background to Tashlich, and you're going to see how powerful this event is. And hopefully you can understand why that is really what starts us on the road of change. Where does Tashlich really come from? To stand in front of water and do this. Where does it really come from? Here's where it comes from. Many, many years ago, Abraham Avinu took his son Yitzchak to go perform Akedah Yitzchak. They walked towards the mountain. He had two people with him. He told those people, you stay back. I'm walking with my son up to the mountain. He walked towards the mountain. And as he was getting closer to the mountain, the Satan, the rabbis say, the Satan saw that Abraham was really going to do this. So he put a body of water in front of Abraham and Yitzchak. Abraham says, okay, it's a body of water we have to go through. So he and his son start walking through the water. Now the water is up to their ankles, then their knees, then their waist, then their chest, then their neck, then up to here. Up to their nose. And finally Abraham says, God, I'm trying to do a mitzvah for you. What are you doing? And it says in some way the water went away and he was able to pass through. We say tashlich in front of water to commemorate that. Isn't that funny? You went to school, you never heard this. This is the reason. I'm not making up some obscure reason that I found in some hidden book. No. This is the reason. Why they don't tell it to you in school? I don't know. This is the reason. This is the reason. You can look it up. It's the reason. The reason is because Abraham and Yitzchak went up to here in the water. Why is that the reason? Why is that? Why are we commemorating that when we're doing Tashlich? The answer is, here's what we're saying at Tashlich. We're saying, God, 
I want to change myself as a person. I want to be the kind of person who is so determined, who is so strong in my convictions, that nothing's going to stop me. Just like my forefather had water in front of him, and he made it through the water, I'm going to be the same. These sins are going to be so out of my life. I have a total different head. Abraham at that moment showed us, not just that he's willing to sacrifice his son, he showed us that he is absolutely not going to be denied. Nothing is going to stop me. This is why when we commemorate Akedah Yitzchak, what do we remember about Akedah Yitzchak? We blow the shofar. Now let me ask you a question. The shofar doesn't really fit. Because Akedah Yitzchak was him willing to sacrifice his son. The shofar came from the ram that happened after Akedah Yitzchak. So why do I care about the ram that happened after the Akedah? Anyone could sacrifice a ram. That's not a big deal. You and me could sacrifice a ram. Why, is it, why do we commemorate the ram? The answer is the ram shows us the same thing that the water shows us. The ram shows us that Abraham was so determined that it doesn't even matter. If God says, stop, he says, I need to keep going. Nothing's going to stop me. God says, but I don't want you to slaughter my son. He says, okay, I'll slaughter a ram instead of my son. Because nothing is going to stop my mentality. I so deeply want to serve you. Nothing and no water is going to get in the way. You can't even stop me. I am going to do this. And that's why God came to him and blessed him only after he sacrificed the ram. That's why we blow the shofar, we blow from the ram. Why? Because we want to remember that. We want to remember a mentality and a mindset. That my mindset is that I am so driven, I am so strong, that I'm going to make it happen no matter what. Abraham Avinu taught us how to do, in essence, and this is my point, how to change our standards. Everything I just told you, that's for weak people. That's for average people. That's not for people who are the children of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Because the children of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov live life differently. We demand excellence in everything we do. Period. We demand excellence in everything we do. I've shared this many times. That in the Hashem made the world in a way that if you're poor at something, you're not even going to get the job. If you're average, you'll get the job and then you're going to get fired. It's just the reality. If you're good at it, you'll hold on to your job. If you're great at it, you'll get a raise after five years. All the reward is for people that are excellent. Excellent, get quadruple the amount. When you want a doctor, you don't want top 30 in the country, you want top 2. No one cares about the top 50 basketball players, they care about the top 1. That's how it is. When you want to have a serious court case, you want one of the top 5 lawyers in the world. That's how we think. The world works with excellence. When we think about our own lives, it has to be with Abraham Avinu's mindset. I demand from myself excellence. I don't have the thoughts of, yeah, I could be, I could be. What are you talking about? We have to have that mindset. We're never going to, doesn't matter, I'm going to demand for myself greatness on a whole nother level. Whether I was good enough, I wasn't good enough, other people get away with it, they don't get away with it. That's for kids. The children of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov have a whole different mindset. We demand excellence in everything we do. I'm not sure if I made this clear enough, how I was answering this question. That we started off with saying that, oh, I think, oh, I'm too bad, I'm too good, I'm okay, I can get away with it, I survived, I'm afraid to be too good, it's too hard. What are you talking about? That is the thoughts of average people. 
That's not the thoughts of the descendants of someone who walked through water to make it happen. That's not the thoughts of the descendants of someone who said, I need to serve you, God, even if you stop me, I'm not stopping. When this is your mentality, all of a sudden you look at yourself in a whole different way. Am I excellent? I don't care what other people do. Am I excellent? Do, do, do excellent people forget their berachot? Do excellent people keep Shabbat that way? Do excellent people then not have kavanah? Is that okay for them? If it's not okay for them, then it's not okay for me. This mentality has to be a dramatic mentality change that gets us to think about life differently. We don't think about life like average. Okay, I got away with it. They got away with it. To what? Am I being clear enough? Yeah. Yes? yes? Very? Because I'm not even sure. I'm so hot. Is it hot in here or is it just me? It's like Dachilak. I spent three days in the rain. Now I spent a day in the sun. Oh, you know what it is? My father usually makes sure that the temperature is the right thing. And he's not in the building. Oh, man. Okay. Someone just helped us. There you go. No, someone just did it. That's what happened. It didn't just happen. It wasn't a miracle. No. We could walk through water. We came to turn on air conditioners. <laughs> there really is no other way to live. There's no other way to have life that's really satisfying without demanding excellence in everything you do. In everything you do. The head during this week should be, what do I need to do to be excellent? Not to be poor or good or average or good. No. What do I need to do to be excellent? Because that's what I'm thinking about. The main theme of this week of Rosh Hashanah is Akedah Yitzchak. It's remembering that, you know what, that's the goal. I want to hit the epitome. I'm not thinking about oh, what other people get away with. Average kids in school talk like that. People that want to be excellent have a whole different mentality. And if you want to understand excellence, I shared this at the end of the last year of the graduation. You want to understand excellence? There's four things. Four areas that if you demand excellence in these four areas, I can pretty much be sure that your life, you're living it the right way. You ready for the four? Four areas. Number one is religion. I don't know anybody who lives a happy, meaningful life that doesn't have religion in it. That doesn't demand of themselves greatness in that religion. That means I want to be excellent in how I pray. I want to be excellent in how I learn. I want to be excellent in how I keep Shabbat. I want to be excellent in religion. I don't just want to do like everybody else. Everybody else is for simple people. Everybody else, by the way, is not for people who are willing to come on a rainy fast day right after Rosh Hashanah. The fact that you're here already says that you demand excellence. It does. If there would have been six people in this room, it would have made sense. It's the day after Rosh Hashanah, some people were in deal, it's rainy all week, it's short weeks, we had only around two free days in a row in the next month. You already do have this mentality. It means you demand excellence in religion. Number two, you need to demand excellence in your character. There are seven billion people on this planet, and there's not one of them that doesn't deserve my respect. Period. That's the standard. 
There's 7 billion people and they all deserve my respect. They're better than me, they're worse than me, they're good, they're evil, I don't care. 7 billion people, men, women, children, all of them. Jew, non-Jew, community, not community, powerful, not powerful, religious, not so religious, I like them, I don't like them. That's the standard is, if you want to be excellent, there's 7 billion people and they all deserve my respect. I may not like them all, I may not agree with them all, but they all deserve my respect. If you want to live life with excellence, that's the standard. Number three. Number three is work ethic. I have never in my life met a person who's accomplished anything without hard work. Ever. I've never met a person who's accomplished anything that, that garners any admiration without hard work. You do not have to be the hardest working person in the room. But you have to be the smartest working person in the room. Without work ethic, without excellence in your work ethic, it's very hard to accomplish anything of substance. And finally, number four. Number four is your results. You see, God gave us a gift. God gave us a gift that we get a chance to see how excellent we are. You know how we get to see? By the results. When we make a meal for a holiday, we get to see if it was excellent. Look, is it excellent? You can see it. Look, the results is a gift. Because results gives us, if we're honest with ourselves, and we really do demand excellence from ourselves, we could look at the results and say, is that up to my standard? And if it's not, next time will be. If you, if you focus on excellence on these four things, on religion, on character, on work ethic, and results, if you keep thinking about this over and over again, you will not think like regular people anymore. You will not have those kinds of average thoughts. You'll start to think on the plane of Abraham Avinu. And you know what? My religion, I, other people do better or worse, doesn't matter. I'm going to be excellent at it. Other people get away with their foul language. They get away with sketching a little bit. They get away with insulting people. They're not excellent. I'm looking for excellence in my character. Other people didn't work so hard. It's true. But they, don't, they didn't achieve anything special. Other people, their results are so-so. It's okay. Good. It's good for them. They want to be good. I want to be great. Because really, this is how life works. You're guaranteed to have pain. Either pain in the beginning of discipline, or pain in the end of regret. If you demand excellence in every single day of your life, you will not experience that pain. You may not get everything you want, you may not do everything right, but you'll know that you have demanded excellence to the max. It's harsh. It's pressuring. It's the only way to live. When Yaakov Esau came in from the field, and everyone asked this question, and I mentioned it last year in the class. Esau comes in from the field, when am I supposed to end? When did I start? When am I supposed to end? I'm covering for the last two weeks and the next two weeks. So I could go another five, three minutes, right? Is that okay? Yes? You don't have kids in school, whatever. Yes? You go outside, it's raining anyhow. Three more minutes and then we're done. Esav comes in from the field and Yaakov buys the birthright. And everybody complains, how's that nice? Your brother, he's hungry, how'd you buy the birthright from him? The answer to me is so simple. Esav came in from the field. Yaakov saw him. And Yaakov knew that this man does not have what it takes. This man does not want to be the father of the chosen people. He just doesn't. 
He doesn't have the mentality of Abraham and Yitzhak. He doesn't. You know how I know? From one word. The Basuk says, Vayavo Esav bin Hasadeh. Esav came in from the field. Vehu Ayef. And he was tired. You're tired? Really? Tired? You're telling me about tired? That means you don't understand the concept of the excellence that's needed to be able to be, have this kind of greatness. You just don't want to be the father of the chosen nation. I'm not buying the birthright. I'm not extortion. I'm not sketching you on the birthright. You don't want it. Because you don't want to live this way. If we were born as the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, it means that we want to live life on this plane, on, with these standards, with this mentality, with this mindset. If you think for the next week on this mindset, then Teshuvah will be much easier. Because you'll start looking at yourself and you'll be honest. And you'll say, yeah, I get away with it. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Yes, I'm better than other people. But am I great? Am I excellent? Am I hitting the standard that I have for myself? Am I hitting the standard that Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov want from me? And with one little story. And maybe this will clarify it and then we'll conclude. You've all heard of Chaim Kanievsky. His father also was a very famous rabbi. He was known as the Stipler Gaon. The Stipler lived in Europe from the early 1900s. He passed away in the 1980s. Well, he was studying in a yeshiva in like 1912. And, get the year right. And his, uh, he met a fa the father of his friend. And his friend's father said, Oh, you're going back to your school. It was out of town. You're going back to your school. I have a little message. I want an important message I need to get to my son. Can you please take this letter? The father stops right there, writes down a quick letter to his son, folds it up, gives it to the rabbi. He gives it to this young boy now at that point. He says, please bring it to my son. So Stavis said, no problem, I'm going to do it. Then World War II broke out. Years went by, and the Stavis never got to see the son. The son in the meantime got married, had a child. The father in the meantime got sick and passed away. So now the Stavis knew, I have to get this son this letter. I mean, it's the only thing he's got, I have to get this son this letter. Finally, eight years after the father gave it to him, he finally was going to have the opportunity to meet the son. The son was waiting. The son got his brother to come. He got his wife ready. They prepared a picture frame. Picture frame to put this letter because it was like a letter from their father who passed. It's the only letter they were going to have. Finally, the day came. The stipler delivered the letter. The son opens up the letter. His brother standing on his shoulder. The son looks at the letter, hangs his head, and cries. The brother's like, what does it say? He says, here, take it. The brother reads the letter, here's what it says. Hi, son. How's your learning? Don't forget to bring home the sardines when you come home. Love your father. That's the legacy he left. Don't forget to bring home the sardines. Now let me tell you one more story. There was a rabbi in, in a yeshiva... And he had, his name was Rav Nassim Tzvi. And someone sent, he sent the letter to his son. And it took a while for his son to get the letter. And finally he got the letter. And this is what the letter said. It's almost the same thing. Dear son, how are you? How's your learning? Don't forget that every time you make a decision, make it as if it's the last day of your life. 
That son became the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir Yeshiva in Israel. Two fathers sent a letter. One letter says, son, stay average. The other letter said, demand excellence. One letter said, remember about food. The other letter said, you need to be something special every day. One letter said, mundane things should be really on your mind. Because that's what you should care about. Because that's what your father cares about. The other letter said, that you only should think about lofty ideas and lofty goals every day. So the whole first half of this class is for people who consider themselves average people. If you consider yourself average people, then one day you say, I'm too bad. Another day you say, I'm too good. Another day you say, I made it this far, I'm going to be okay. Another day you say, oh, I'm afraid to be too good because maybe I'm going to get in trouble. Another day you say, the whole thing is too hard. But if you have the mentality that Abraham blazed the trail that he blazed for us at Akedah Yitzchak, that means that we don't get tired. That means that we demand of ourselves an excellence that's way higher than the rest of the world thinks. If you think that way, then life is completely different. Because if you wake up in the morning and you want to be average, what kind of day is that? But if you wake up and religion is your guide, and your character is your pride, and work at work gives you joy, and the results are your prize, every night, you'll put your head on the pillow and it'll feel awesome. So Yom Kippur, Aseret Yimei Teshuvah, is hard for regular people. It's not hard for people who are ready to demand of their life only excellence. Thank you.